0: Hey there, it's Scary Parish, it's Sunday, February 17th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we promised you we'd have a podcast on early Sunday, and it's early Sunday, and the only way we can get this done is Norlander is recording from the airport in Indianapolis. Norlander, please explain to me, and anybody else who's curious, why are you in Indianapolis?
1: I wish I had the answers for you, Parrish. I would love to give you answers. I have no answers. Left beautiful Lexington Sunday morning. Great airport, by the way. Just extremely efficient. No line. I was feeling great. Had a, had a scheduled layover in Chicago. We get on the plane. They say, we've got some, uh, we've got some icy conditions in Chicago. We're going to be in a holding pattern here. I had no idea that this was coming. So we're in a holding pattern. Hey, listen, we're going to land in Indianapolis. Excuse me, what? We land in Indianapolis. GP, I know you just dealt with this like literally last week, but I was sitting on the tarmac on this airplane for almost two and a half hours. I don't know why they didn't let us off. They finally let us off. And yeah, I'm going to sit here and do this podcast with you. Trying to wait and see if and when I'm going to get back on this plane or if I have to reschedule a flight from Indy into New York. Never mind where my bag is, and hopefully I'll get that okay. But you know what? Whatever. We're going to get this podcast done. We're going to get it taken care of. We're making the Eye College Basketball podcast history right now. I'm coming to you from gate B15. I'm bypassing even eating the, uh, the Harry and Izzies. In St. Elmo's shrimp here in the Indianapolis Airport, because you know I want that right now. But I'm with you, so let's just do this, and hopefully, hopefully, I'm not getting. Well, nope, there's a weird stare. Uh, hi, I, you know I'm sitting here with uh, with a bunch of people, but you know what? It's a communal thing. I'm thrilled to be doing this. Hello.
0: There's a zero percent chance I would ever record a podcast publicly, like sitting in an airport with people staring at me. I'd feel like an idiot. Like, what if I tried to do my straight-up call and people are just looking at me? <laughs> I might,
1: you know what? I might just have to do a straight-up just, <laughs> just <laughs> before this podcast is done. Uh, and a quick note before we're gonna get to the game here. Like, we're not gonna spend seven minutes on this, but the uh, the amount of anger that comes from people, like, it's a weather event. Like, we can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's frustrating, but we can't do anything about it. But like, the anger that the general public has for people that work for the airline industry is just like. I just, I, uh, it's so frustrating to see. We need to have consideration for other human beings and have some empathy. No one wants to be stuck here. Everyone wants to get home. And uh, I just, I look around and I see, I see angry people. And then, yeah, I see people looking at me like, "What is this dude doing, sitting with uh, headphones on, talking in front of his computer and a mixing board uh, at Gate B15?" But so it goes. You want to <laughs> talk? You want to talk Kentucky romping Tennessee or what?
0: I guess we can talk Kentucky romp in Tennessee, although you have already made a mistake not dropping in that Harry and Izzy's. I never – it doesn't matter if – when I, when I land in Indianapolis, even before I go get my bags, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit down in Harry and Izzy's for a second. That place is terrific. Like maybe best place to get a quick meal in an airport in the country? Having Harry and Izzy's in the Indianapolis airport is strong.
1: It's very strong, and if we wrap this up in time – and I still got a minute, you know I'm going right over there. That's that is absolutely happening, uh, without a doubt. So if you're gonna get like, you know, diverted to an airport, really Indy is Indy is a is a really top level airport. So I got no no complaints about that. But uh but here we are and yeah, day after, um Great, great win for Kentucky. Uh, you know, I'll let you lead with thoughts. I was there, and I'll, I'll kind of respond. But um, I just did not see I, in, in my preview that ran on Friday on cbsports.com I said, really, there's six options, GP, that we could have for outcomes here. You could have a close win. You could have kind of a medium win, you know, 8 to 12 points or whatever, or you could have a blowout, like 15 points or more. And I said the one of those six outcomes that I don't think, think is possible is a Kentucky blowout because of the way Tennessee had been played. If you look at the statistics, the three-point tendencies of these teams, I did not think Kentucky at home, even at home, was going to be capable of blowing out Tennessee, and uh, that was the, one of the biggest swing and a misses big whiffs I've had all season. What were your thoughts on the game?
0: Well, I actually did think there was a chance Kentucky could blow them out, which is why on the last podcast I mentioned that when – or one of the last podcasts, um, I mentioned that when Duke came back from 23 down at Louisville, um, some knucklehead tweeted me and said, oh, like, you know, th- this is proves Duke's the number one team in the country, Tennessee – Uh, could never come back from 23 down against anybody in the country. And I was going to retweet it, as I mentioned, and put, uh, this sounds like a trick question. Um, Obviously, Tennessee would never be down 23 to anybody. And the reason I didn't retweet it is because I was like, the second I do that, uh, Tennessee's going to be down 27 points to, uh, (laughs) Tennessee's going to be down 27 points to Kentucky at Rupp Arena on Saturday night. And they didn't get down 27 but they did get down, uh, 24, the final score, 86, 69. So it's a 17 point win for John Calipari's Wildcats. It was UT's first game against the currently ranked team in more than two months. And it, it, it didn't go well. I it didn't make me have big change of opinion, uh, on, on a big change of opinion on Kentucky. I mean, on Tennessee or on Kentucky, frankly, because, um, it, it's just one data point in a, in a long season, um, but obviously Kentucky was super duper impressive, and uh, you know Grant Williams afterwards said that you know they were humbled, and perhaps they needed to be humbled. Um, they they got their brains beat in pretty much start to finish.
1: Yeah, he also mentioned uh, Barnes that he had not seen his team play this selfishly the entire season on offense. Uh, and, and also made mentioned the fact that if for a lot of the game, the team he was watching play out there, it just didn't look like the team he was coaching for most of the season. Weirdly, and, and credit to Reed Travis. Kyle Perry mentioned how uh, well great of a job he did on Grant Williams, which also enabled P.J. Washington to have his seventh uh, game of 20 or more points in the past eight games overall. But Grant Williams, National Player of the Year, like top three candidate, four Field goal attempts in this one. I thought that was uh, one of the more overlooked aspects of this game. And what um, and Williams got bruised up a bit. Like th- there's no doubt about it. There was actually a stretch in the first half where we did not get the under 12 timeout in that sequence. So TV, you get the under 16 timeout at the first whistle, then you get the under 12 at the first whistle. But they went. We had back-to-back TV timeouts, and during that stretch, like Williams was just everyone looked gassed, but particularly him. And I thought that was a big. Thing in the game. Now there were other reasons, like Tennessee has not been a. It's it's been interesting to see how good they've been, and they're not a good rebounding team. And then this, it really came back to bite them in a big way last night. GP, um, that Keldon Johnson got really hot in the first half. Kentucky, which doesn't rely on the three, neither of these teams do. But you know, Keldon Johnson gets hot early, and that was a that was a big factor as well. And then coming out of the second half, they just have this fourteen nothing run, and it just bloats the lead from thirty seven thirty one to fifty one thirty one. And I thought that was almost like course correction for Kentucky because if you know for those who watched that game start to finish and were really keyed in on it the fact that Kentucky was only up six points at halftime I thought was a huge credit to Tennessee because Kentucky was out playing to the point where I I was kind of thinking in my head as uh, they were going into half I was like I bet you that Kentucky staff thinks that they should be up by 15 points right now. Like, Tennessee's got no business being in a, in a, in a single-digit game, and yet they come out of the second half they get a good turnover, they get a three to start, and suddenly it's 51-31 and a blur, and then Tennessee just had no chance to come back at that point because I do still – I'm still with you on Tennessee being like a top-five team. There's no way I'm stepping off that, not even close. But the one thing that Tennessee has as a glaring flaw outside of its inconsistency with rebounding, they simply are not built – And I mean, from the ground up, they are not built to come back from 20 point deficits because they don't have a three point oriented offense and they don't shoot it particularly well. They've got some guys who can hit some here and there, but that's just not their game. And, you know, Jordan Bone can be a great change of pace and a a speedy point guard when he wants to be. But that's just not Tennessee's M.O. If you tell me right now, Tennessee is, is, you know, in a one versus two matchup in the elite eight and there's going to be 12 minutes to go on whatever site they're at. And uh, and they're down by 14 points. You know, down the stretch, they're not going to win. They're just they, they can't do it the way that other teams might be able to. So I thought that was uh, just a hurdle that was too too high for them to overcome. That wound up being the case.
0: A couple of things to underline the points you're making um, on the three point um, uh, topic with Tennessee. Only 31.5 percent of their field goal attempts are three point attempts. So that ranks 328th in the country. In other words. Um, It's not just that they don't make threes; it's that they don't they don't even shoot them. They actually shoot a a decent percentage from three point range thirty six point three, but they don't they don't even take them. So when they get down big, obviously coming back is a is a bit more of a um, a hurdle than it would be for a team uh, built differently. And you mentioned Rick Barnes said his team looked selfish last night. They um, get an assist on sixty three point seven percent of their field goals in this season and without context that might mean nothing to you but it ranks second in the country only one team is better last night they had 24 field goals and just 11 assists so um you know and and then you know of course they they shot 28 percent from three-point range so it it just wasn't that that was not a a an accurate reflection of of tennessee and obviously kentucky's got a lot to do with that but I think if you wake up on Sunday and just sort of put that over here and say, okay, that's one game in a long list of games that they played. Let's look at the resume again. Tennessee would still be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. I think that's important for UT fans to understand. Very important, and I'm not going to step off on Tennessee, GP,
1: at all. I still think that they, uh, they deserve to be on the one line at this point. Um, we need to acknowledge how... Uh, impressive it is. I know that they haven't played ranked teams over the past two months, but winning twenty-three or first twenty-five games, having a win over projected number one seed, I don't have concerns about Tennessee. The, the schedule will get tougher down the way, and will obviously uh, we'll, Tennessee is going to be a, a primary topic on the podcast coming forward in in the, in the coming weeks. And they get the rematch against Kentucky. Uh, second point is in regard to Kentucky. Um, P.J. Washington is the leader, is the alpha on that team, um, and th- the way that he came in and played that well, I thought was was critical. But everyone else too. Calipari shared a funny little anecdote. He he had played uh, the clips of all of Ashton Hagen's and Steals from the CBS Sports Classic that we were at. You might forget that game was actually in Chicago Parish, and he play- f- he played it for the team, and you know Hagen's included on Thursday, and he said, "Now I don't know." I don't know where this guy is. He's not with us anymore. We miss him. And it's, you know, tongue-in-cheek and reverse psychology. And the team starts laughing and all this stuff. And it was basically sent as a message to Haggins like, we're going to need you on Jordan Bone. Um, and certainly that worked. Haggins also had a – he had, he didn't have a great game. He had a good game. But there were a lot of guys who had really good games all, all around. And, and it was really just – it was the kind of performance that – against the ad opponent on that stage, marquee game of the weekend, reinforced how dangerous Kentucky is overall. um, And... (laughs) And it keeps their number one seed hopes alive. I think it's pretty cool that the SEC, we we almost never get this. It, we do have a situation where the league actually has national implications in terms of the one line and, and now the conference race. Also, we got to include LSU in that as well. Uh, and Cal, in fact, mentioned that the LSU loss might have actually been a factor in helping them win. I found that to be an atypical uh, comment from him. I don't think that he traditionally mentions that kind of stuff as uh, one, you know, one loss to the next game being a direct factor, but he made reference to that. Now, my last thing is this, and I am begging you not to go on for like seven minutes about this, but I'm stuck on this plane, right? And I, what are you going to do? You're on a plane, you're going to you're gonna check through Twitter. There's like nothing else to do. Read read something if you want, but I, I prefer to read on my phone, or my computer as opposed to my phone. So I'm checking Twitter, and I'm seeing that you're just getting just... <laughs> You are getting piled on for your ranking. So I know that so many of the listeners also check in on your ranking. Some may agree. Some may just downright hate you at this point. So I figure you just want to get this off your chest and the podcast is the best outlet. So if you are able to in like three minutes or less, okay, four minutes, do you just want to explain your latest top 25 in one update? Because I think this has incensed readers more than the typical updates we've had over the past month.
0: So I'm sitting last night in my hotel here in New York and I'm watching Tennessee-Kentucky and it, it becomes apparent that Kentucky is going to win that game and not just squeak by but but win it in a convincing manner. And so I start working through the top 25-1 and one, um, to reflect that and I realize very quickly I'm going to do two things uh, with Sunday morning's update. And that is, A, um, enrage Duke fans – because I'm not going to have Duke fans where they think Duke should be. And enrage Kentucky fans, because I'm not going to have Kentucky fans. I'm not going to have Kentucky where Kentucky fans think Kentucky ought to be. So yes, I anticipated uh, the backlash in the Twitter mentions will be there. And I've got no issue with people saying Duke should be ahead of Gonzaga, because I have Gonzaga 1, Duke 2. If you want to argue Duke over Gonzaga, as I actually wrote, it's a reasonable thing to do. Just argue that. But when you act like th- there's no way Gonzaga should be number 1, Gonzaga's 12 and 2 versus top 100 Kimpom teams. With a neutral court win over Duke, they've got zero losses to schools ranked outside of the top 7 of the top 25 and 1. They've won 16 straight games by an average of 31.3 points per game. All 16 of those games have been won by double digits. They are very worthy of a number one ranking. Again, you want to argue Duke should be ahead of Gonzaga? That's fine. But to act like it's crazy to have Gonzaga ahead of Duke? That's insane. You're the one being crazy. The issue with Kentucky, simply put, I don't think there's a team that I have ahead of Kentucky um, that that Kentucky should be ahead of, period. Um, Michigan has a better resume than Kentucky. Kentucky's twenty and four. Michigan's twenty and three and three. And that's where the argument comes. It's Gonzaga, Duke, Virginia three, Tennessee four, Michigan five. Then I have Kentucky six. Kentucky fans think this is crazy. Um, Michigan has a better resume. Michigan. If you want to argue that Kentucky, you think Kentucky's better than Michigan. Very reasonable thing to argue. You can argue that sensibly but to act like it's crazy to have Michigan ahead of Kentucky it's not crazy. Michigan 16 and 3 versus top 100 Kimpom teams with just one sub 30 loss. They got double digit wins over North Carolina, Purdue, Maryland and Villanova. Kentucky's 11 and 4. Remember, Michigan 16 and 3 versus top 100 Kimpom teams. Kentucky's 11 and 4 versus top 100 Kimpom teams. They've got losses to two uh sub 50 teams. Um again, if you just want to say I don't care about what happened a month ago or two months ago or at Alabama or earlier this week because of a basket interference call that wasn't called, I think Kentucky's better than Michigan? Fine, make that argument. You can make it. I could make it for you if you want me to. But to act like it's crazy to have Michigan in front of Kentucky? No, that's not crazy. It's perfectly reasonable thing to do. And the only thing that drives me crazy is that I swear to God about 80% of the people who respond to a tweet about the top 25 and one are complete idiots. Like, I mean, really have no concept of what daily rankings are or how they have nothing to do with the AP poll. There is one moron after another who will tweet me on a a Sunday morning, like this morning, and say, how does uh, Kentucky uh, beat the number one team in the country and then drop? I didn't drop Kentucky. Kentucky was six yesterday morning. They're six today. What do you not understand, dummy? How can Kentucky beat the number one team in the country and then get jumped by Michigan? Michigan didn't jump Kentucky dummy. Michigan was number five yesterday. Kentucky was number six yesterday. Michigan beat Maryland by double digits. Kentucky beat Tennessee by double digits. Michigan, in my opinion, still has the better resume. Michigan stays ahead of Kentucky like what is, what what's wrong with you people? like how what is so hard to understand? Uh, that you, if you're going to talk about movement within the rankings, you have to compare it to yesterday's rankings because this is the daily college basketball ranking done by me that has nothing to do with the AP poll. Why are why are so many people not smart, Norlander? Could just let's just start there. Help me. Why are people dumb?
1: Well, as you say this, I mean, I see someone just getting on the moving
0: walkway and they just stand there. Like why how- are people? That. I swear to God, I was in the airport the other day and somebody, did, they walk, 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 get on the moving runway and then just stand there. Like, yo, keep walking. Why are you, are you just that lazy? You can't walk. <laughs> like, I understand not walking up an escalator because like, you know, maybe you don't want to do stairs but on a moving walkway how lazy are you to just stand on a moving walkway i hate those people too i two types of people i hate today people who stand on moving walkways and people who don't understand that michigan was ahead of kentucky yesterday in the top 25 and 1 which means michigan did not jump kentucky this morning in the top 25 and 1 sure. and if you dare be a person who doesn't understand that michigan didn't jump kentucky and you're standing and you're standing on a moving walkway I wish bad things for you and your family. I'm going
1: to I'm going to wait for someone else to to start not walking on a moving walkway. I'm going to approach them. Uh, as gingerly as possible, and ask them where they think Duke should be ranked in the college basketball yeah. rankings, and then we'll have our we'll have our definitive answer. Anyway, you did a, you did a decent job there. Uh, you you kept it to as about as short as I possibly could have expected you to. Um, I don't have much of a retort. I think we should probably get to some other uh, some other results here uh, before I get into that uh, that awesome shrimp cocktail. But I wanted just to let you vent because I knew you wanted to. I knew you needed to. And so there we have it. Um, I would have Kentucky ahead of Michigan at this point. I don't uh, – frankly, I don't have enough in me to really fight you on that, uh, and I don't think it's completely egregious. But with recent play, that's, that's what people are looking at. And, you know, given, the, uh, given the, the volume that Kentucky's win produced, both in margin of victory, it was Kentucky's largest win over a number one ranked team in its history. And the way they got it, I think that's why people had an issue.
0: I have no issue. That's the thing. If somebody says Kentucky should be ahead of Michigan, I don't look at them and say, well, you're an idiot. There's no way Kentucky should be ahead of Michigan. You can read like tomorrow when the AP poll comes out, Kentucky might be ahead of Michigan and uh, and Duke will almost certainly be ahead of Gonzaga. And that is not what I'll use the politics column on because it's totally sensible. The only thing I don't understand is why people can't understand that it is sensible to do it the opposite way as well. There's nothing crazy about Michigan over Kentucky. There's certainly nothing crazy about Gonzaga over um, over Duke because Gonzaga does have a, a, a great resume that includes the win over Duke, um, despite the fact that it plays in the West Coast Conference. So many people use that against them as if to say, well, they couldn't possibly be you know a, a legitimate top five team in another league. That's just not true. And then this is what I got this morning as well. And let's talk a little bit about Gonzaga. I had somebody this morning say, how many teams in the country would have Gonzaga's record against Gonzaga's schedule? And it, it, it from that person's perspective, that's a rhetorical question. Like they're asking it in an attempt to to make the point anybody could be 25-2 and two with Gonzaga's record. I just don't believe that. I, I I think almost nobody would be 25 and 2 yep. against Gonzaga's against Gonzaga's schedule. Like uh, they yeah. they had a neutral court game against Tennessee, a road game at North Carolina, a neutral court against Duke, um a road game at Creighton, a home game against Washington, a road game at San Francisco, which is top 50 Ken pump team. I, I don't ha, who would be 25 and 2 against Gonzaga's schedule. Maybe Duke? I mean maybe Duke? But I bet there aren't five teams in the country that'd be 25 and two against Gonzaga's schedule.
1: Yeah, um, that Duke versus Duke matchup on Gonzaga's schedule would be a tricky one. Uh, I don't it'd know be- who'd win that, but otherwise, uh, you're right. Now, there's only a handful of teams, and I don't have the numbers up in front of me right now. And we still have to finish out the season. But from an, you know, if you were going to look at the Ken Palm efficiency margin of Gonzaga this season compared to the the history of the past, you know, 17 years, 18 years worth of data, Gonzaga is trending as one of the strongest teams, right there with the Gonzaga team from two two. Seasons. Seasons ago, And it does try and schedule ambitiously out of conference. And so, and also, by the way, like it's beating teams. I, I didn't see the San Diego win. I know that it was kind of tight, but they won comfortably and they won by double digits. But I know going into the San Diego game, Gonzaga had won its previous WCC games this season by an average of 31.1 points. That's absurd. Oh, got- That's stupid.
0: I've got it. They've won 16 they won 16 straight games by an average of 31.3 points.
1: Okay, so it just got so okay, maybe but did they, they didn't beat
0: them by more than 30, did they? Um, no, it was um, it was a, a single digit game for most of the game. They end up winning by twelve. I don't know if the number you saw was wrong, but when I did the okay. math on it, it was sixteen straight games by an average of thirty one point three. Okay, maybe it was even
1: a little bit higher than thirty one. Maybe it was like, uh, you know in the thirty three range. But regardless, when you I don't care what league you play in, like when you are beating your opponents by thirty plus on average, it's absurd. So I, I'm with you on that. Uh, Gonzaga has it's it's there with every single other team and it's doing this in terms of like being the elite of the elite in college basketball title front runner all that good stuff it's doing this and it doesn't have Killian Tilly again for most of the season for the, well for most of the season it hasn't had Tilly for the entire season it hasn't had a fully effective Killian Tilly and it's crazy to think about how much Better this team would be if it really had its full roster available throughout. We'll wait and see if Tilly even is able to get back on the floor in March for the tournament. The staff is hopeful, but they're not—they're not, you know, banking on it as a sure thing. Um, what Gonzaga has been able to do is uh, has been impressive, and then just broadly, it's also a credit to Mark Few and that program that you know. It, it takes you a decade plus to get to this point because, frankly, they're just not must-see games at this point. And this happens annually. Now, we don't. I feel like the national media does a pretty good job of not letting them float completely off the radar because the games aren't must-see and they get played late. But it speaks to, obviously, the program's value, its brand, its identity, but also how good it continues to be that it remains in that conversation. And although there are still, like frankly befuddling Gonzaga skeptics out there those people need to let that go Um, top five team yet again and if you're trying to cut Gonzaga down you're just you're just not paying attention you're not paying attention to the data and you're not paying attention to what most other teams that play similar type schedules whether it's in league or across everything they do not win with that kind of efficiency at that high a clip consistently week after week after week
0: They've got the number one rated offensive efficiency number, um, adjusted offensive efficiency number in the country. And the other thing, you know, when I started tweeting about them last night, you know, people say, ah, they'll 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 lose in the round of 32, or they'll, you know, ah, they'll they'll be out by the sweet 16. Gonzaga has advanced in 10 straight NCAA tournaments. They've been in the sweet 16 each of the past four years. They've been in the Elite Eight two of the past four years. They obviously played for the National Championship two years ago. There was a time when maybe you could make the argument that Gonzaga was little more than a team that became a big brand, dominated the West Coast Conference way more often than not, but was never really as good as their ranking or their seed, uh, and, and it showed up when they got to the NCAA tournament. But those days have passed. Uh, And Mark has has built this thing and taken it to another level. And you and I are on the same page here. If you're skeptical that Gonzaga is legit or that Gonzaga could compete at the top of literally any conference in America, you're just you're just not paying attention or you're just being dumb about the topic in hand.
1: All right. So what else from Saturday, Parrish, sticks out to you most? Because I caught some stuff here and there. Um. Quick note, as as we make the turn here, I will say this is my it was my first time seeing a game in Rupp. That was awesome. Building is big, yes. Um, but I but uh, but it re- really really great environment. Lexington really good food town. Enjoyed all my meals there, and then the Kentucky facilities. They were really good, but they weren't what I was expecting. That old Memorial Coliseum that they used to play in until, I guess, what, the late 70s, early 80s. Cool little building. I actually wish Kentucky would play, like, one or two of their uh, bye games there. I think that might be a cool thing. But I think the ticket demand is so massive that they just don't to deal with that. But anyway, my, my returns on Lexington are, are very, very good. Not quite as good of a town, in my opinion, as Charlottesville or Chapel Hill. Lexington, I still really, really like you. Don't worry. Tony Steakhouse was awesome. But I uh, just wanted to get in. Uh, I had a few people reach out saying, I want to hear your uh, – your thoughts, not that, that they're worth anything, but point is, had a really good time there. I saw some stuff, not a lot. I saw the disaster of an ending that was Louisville versus Clemson. Louisville I was I was sitting next to Pat Forty, um, who is now who uh, <laughs> has now become a subject of Desmond for his cooking habits. Didn't get into that with Pat, but anyway, uh, Pat had mentioned he was like Louisville. That, that team needs a psychologist. He might be right. So that's not a main game, but I did I did I did wind up seeing uh, some of that. Saw a little bit of uh, of Duke versus NC State, but regardless of what I saw, to you, what stood out most on what was just, if we're being honest, it was a just okay Saturday.
0: Yeah, it was just a okay Saturday. And I noticed that, I, I guess in real time, but also this morning when I start Uh, prepping for the podcast and getting a a, a bit of an outline together i knew we'd you know obviously talk about kentucky's win over tennessee i assumed we would talk about uh, gonzaga going to the uh, top of the top 25 and one and then after that i was like okay what else is interesting i guess the thing i wrote about saturday is is somewhat interesting and that's the big 12 race tightening up because kansas state lost at home to iowa state then kansas smoked west virginia by 25 texas tech smoked baylor By 25, so Bruce Weber's Wildcats still have a one-game lead in the loss column, the Big 12 standings, but uh, here's what my research shows. If Kansas State, Kansas, Texas Tech, and Iowa State, uh, from this point forward, Win the games they're currently projected to win and lose the games they're currently projected to lose, we will have a four-way tie for first at the end of the regular season in the Big 12 standings. Each team would finish 13-5 and five in the Big 12. That wasn't true on Saturday morning, but it is true um, by Saturday night. And I, I don't expect it to unfold so cleanly uh, because in, in this sport and, and others, it, it rarely does. But uh, Kansas is not a better spot today than it was Saturday morning to actually extend its streak of 15 uh, of 14 straight big 12 regular season titles extended to 15 uh, thanks to a it winning the game it was always supposed to win but but more important I think uh, Iowa State uh, giving Kansas State another loss and doing it in the Octagon of doom
1: they did it in the octagon of doom GP a few things on this one uh, so I think you might be uh, have a clearer understanding of the Dr. Strange, Big 12 Endgame Theory I laid out on the previous podcast. Thank you to uh, more listeners than I expected chiming in and uh, endorsing such nonsense. Uh, That is appreciated. But two, what you're laying out here, what you're saying is right. I mean, the results that will be generated here make it unlikely... I would love to see this league end in a four-way tie for a couple of reasons. One, I kind of like that 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 level of chaos in a major conference at the end of a season. We almost never see a four-team tie at the end of a season, so that would be fun. Two, uh, it would the, the the Kansas streak would continue, and I think you'd get like pushback from uh, from the anti-Kansas contingent. But that's. No matter. The the streak entails them finishing uh, with the best record at the end of the regular season in the Big 12, and they would have that if it was just them or if it was six other teams, let alone four. And then the last thing is, if that does happen, it will ensure, because of all the other teams that are around them, and I actually think it's a deeper pool than normal, chasing the one line right now, that would ensure that the Big 12 which will rate as the number two conference uh, when we get to the end of the season. It will not have a one seed. Um, and I'd be interested to see how things shake out who would get a two? I find it hard to believe that no one would get a two in that in that instance. Or would we have a couple of twos? How things Because the committee, what, what will happen then is the committee will have to figure out how it's going to balance the brackets and which team where. try and play some geography into it as well. So um, I don't expect it to, but I'm rooting for it. I would love to see a little bit of chaos there and see how the committee handles that. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: What's most interesting from Kansas's perspective is if they are able to extend this, it's going to come under some some real unique circumstances because think about when Kansas was ranked number one in the country. Two of the starters at that time. Okay, so Kansas was ranked number one in the country. They had Yudoka as playing center. They had LeGerald Vick in the starting lineup. And they still had the hope, even if it was uh, misguided, but they still had the hope that they'd get Silvio D'Souza back at some point. Now, Dokes done for the year. Uh, DeSouza is done, um, perhaps forever, but at least for the rest of this season and next season. And LeGerald Vick's on a personal leave of absence. They had to take the red shirt off of Ochai Obagi, uh on January 9th, and now they're starting four freshmen. They went from that team with um, LeGerald Vick, Yudoka Zabuki, and the hope of DeSouza coming back to now, now they're starting four freshmen. And you know, one of them is a... Guy who was supposed to redshirt, who was a sub 100 prospect coming out of high school, um, in the class of 2018, according to 24/7 Sports. And so when I made this point in the column, because I, I do think it's interesting that they're now starting four freshmen, still have a chance to 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 you know win another Big 12 title. That they're doing it in a way I promise you, Bill Self never anticipated actually doing it. Um, you know, when I made that point in the column, had a few people you know tweet back at me. Oh, well, Duke's, Duke's, you know, operating at its level with four freshmen in the starting lineup as well. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that Duke's freshmen are obviously very different than Kansas's freshmen. Duke's freshmen might be four lottery picks. Kansas might not have a lottery pick. Um, You know, Quinton Grimes was ranked 10th in the class of 2018. Devon Dodson, 21st. David McCormick, 36th. And Ochai Abaji 133rd, whereas Duke's freshmen were number one, number two, number five, and number 15. Um, and again, all of them basically guaranteed first-round draft picks. All four could also be um, lottery picks, and and Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett might go one and two as teammates in the 2019 NBA draft. So, uh, you know, all freshmen aren't created equally, even all five-star freshmen, and. I don't think anybody should be surprised that Duke is awesome, given the talent level of their freshmen. Little bit surprising that Kansas might be able to win another Big 12 title starting those four freshmen.
1: I think that's fair, even with everything in context of, of KU. It's standing in the Big 12, what it's been able to do. But if you really look at what, what it's up against and then the teams around it, for sure. Now, Kansas has a week off. Uh, this is when they hit their break. Usually the big conferences, if schedules allow, they try and give each program anywhere from six to eight days off during the midst of conference season. For Kansas, we now hit that. They get the easy, easy, easy win at home against West Virginia, and then they will play at Texas Tech on Saturday, uh, which will be one of the best games of that weekend. And you know, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how the, the Big 12 race continues to unfold there because of course Texas Tech and Kansas currently knotted at nine and four in the league. Texas Tech as well gets the benefit of having a full week of prep. It defeated Baylor without any problem on Saturday. Now it will wait a week before it gets Kansas. um, And yeah, that's, that will be a fascinating one, Texas Tech. By the way, I think I mentioned this on the previous uh, previous podcast. I believe I did. If not, I mentioned it on CBS Sports HQ. But Texas Tech recently retook the crown of the having the best uh, per possession defense in America, ripping that back from from Virginia, albeit slightly. But still, that was where they were for the first seven weeks of the season, and now once again, Texas Tech has the best uh, has the best defense in the country. And while we're on it, this just popped in my head literally like ten seconds ago as I'm saying this. Do you want to address Chris Beard like totally losing himself and getting just red-faced at uh, at his walk-on for throwing down what I think was the alley-oop against Baylor? Uh, it was so vintage, like college basketball coach reaction. I mean, perish. Par- I'm I'm replaying it in my mind right now. Like <laughs> Chris Beard, I don't I don't think I've ever been that angry ever. He was so angry at a walk-on getting maybe the only glory moment of his entire career. I know you, so I feel like I know what you're going to say, but maybe you'll uh, maybe you'll surprise me. Any thoughts on on Chris Beard just livid over and apologies. Uh, I don't know the player's name, but uh, over what happened there in uh, in Texas Tech on Saturday.
0: Yeah, Chris was more upset about it than Scott Drew was. <laughs> like Scott, Scott didn't care. Um, uh, I I guess I I i'd say two things one i don't care about the sportsmanship aspect of it that so many people try to apply to the end of a basketball game um like if you dare score one more bucket you're showing poor sportsmanship um it doesn't bother me it never has these are all division one basketball players um you know, no, no, nobody's life is going to be altered in any sort of remarkable way by giving up one more basket with seven seconds to go. So I, I don't care about that. If Chris would have not gotten mad about it, I would have never pointed it out or even noticed it because it it, it doesn't bother me the way it does bother some coaches. There's sort of an understanding, not, not with all, but I do think with most, that if you are up comfortably in the final seconds and you have the ball... Um, just just dribble it out, and now go shake hands. Now, what's interesting is the net ranking has pushed some coaches or given them an excuse to, to to not do that. I think LSU has scored late in a game when it was up comfortably. Um, Nevada has scored late in a game when it was up comfortably. In other words, kept playing, and I don't know if Muss has ever addressed it, but uh, but Will Wade has said listen, our efficiency numbers are baked into this thing. And if we dribble at the clock, that is that hurts our offensive efficiency numbers. Now, it's minuscule, but, but it's not nothing. And so I, I do think the coaches who want to continue to score late in a game that they've got under control, they now have a, a real tangible reason to do it that they can point to as an, as an excuse for doing it. But that, all that said, some coaches still just subscribe, the game's over, dribble it out and obviously Chris Beard is is one of those guys um listen I, I wouldn't have got mad angry the way Chris did I don't think it was a great look but I also don't think it was the biggest deal in the world uh, more than anything um if you subscribe to to you shouldn't try to show out against a team in the final seconds that you've just uh, you know beat up for 40 minutes if you subscribe to that then you would also say that that Chris got mad for the right reasons so maybe that's okay but still um you know he went viral for reasons I'm sure that he'd he'd rather have not gone viral for
1: (laughs) yeah for sure it was you know just uh just a moment amid uh not a ton of amazing results over the weekend and that was one that I happened to uh that I happened to pick up on um and like just the absolute fury that he unleashed at this because for, but for all we know, you know, context can sometimes be important because, because uh, on the outside looking in, it's just like, Oh God, college basketball coaches, you know, a huge ego, so controlling and Beard's got a really good reputation, but maybe he said a minute prior, Hey, listen, when we get this, uh, dribble this out here, like no unnecessary shots or whatever. And then that happens. He's like, I just told you. And so, and so there you go. But, uh, but so we don't know what he did or didn't say. Um, One more thing I wanted to bring up because I thought there was a moment this weekend, GP, that I I think it's one of the ten, not greatest, but like ten most unlikely shots I think I've ever seen in college basketball. Truly, like top ten moment, and that was Iowa beating Rutgers. So this happens as I'm as I'm at Rupp Arena watching the Kentucky uh, Tennessee game. And most of the who are listening to the podcast have clearly seen the highlight because frankly it was it was if you were paying attention to college basketball and and kinda of tracking it out the day or saw the highlights at night or in the morning or wherever, you saw this. Um it, they gotta go full court less than four seconds. Iowa does after trailing Rutgers by two and here I'm thinking like, all right, Iowa's gonna take a, a really bad and Uh, you know just a bad loss after they've they've gained some momentum but no I believe instead of Bohannon making the shot I think Bohannon threw uh threw the shot in it goes you know 85 feet it gets randomly deflected winds up bouncing right into the hands of Joe Weiskamp a freshman from the corner and then he banks in the three-point shot to beat Rutgers so two thoughts one if you would beat any team other than Rutgers, I think this shot uh, winds up being more memorable. I honestly don't know how, if anyone outside of Iowa is going to remember this in a year. But two, if you put this shot and this sequence in the first round of the NCAA tournament, I think it goes down as like a top three buzzer beater in the history of that event. It's it, The unlikeliness of the play shaking out the way it did, and then it was banked in from the corner. Are you kidding me? Iowa's a little bit charmed right now, okay? They're 20-5. and five. They also got the winner from Bohannon, Earlier um, last week against Northwestern, so back-to-back games they went on buzzer beaters. Just wanted to bring that up on the pod, worth a mention because it was a freaky, if not lucky, play. But I think it might be lost to the ages due to the uh, the opponent that Iowa won over.
0: Great buzzer beater, another one. David Jenkins, South Dakota State, threw in a half court shot at the buzzer to lead South Dakota state to a 78 77 win over North Dakota state. Uh, The Jackrabbits improved to 11 and two in the league. I don't know if you saw that one, but I mean, it was a legit buzzer beater game winner from half court. David Jenkins is an incredible college basketball player. He's going to be a future uh, summit league, um, you know, most valuable player. Um, And, uh, that was probably the biggest shot of his career to date, um, the half-court buzzer beater that beats North Dakota State. But you're exactly right. Like outside of those couple of buzzer beaters, Kentucky's massive win, uh, the mess in the Big Twelve, there really wasn't that much interesting that happened on Saturday. By and large, the the relevant teams that were supposed to win, um, you know, won the games that they were supposed to win. I will say a special shout out to Chris Clemens, uh, becoming just the ninth player in Division One men's basketball history to score 3,000 career points. He got 28 uh, for the Campbell Fighting Camels on Saturday, so he now has 3,006 points. So that's a headline, uh, if nothing else. And Mike Don, by the way, uh, fellow Jackrabbit with David Jenkins, he's sitting at 2,943 points right now, and he's averaging 25.4 points per game. So at that pace – in other words, if he scores his average the next two games, he will crack the three thousand point barrier on March second against Western Illinois, um, on what would be his senior day in Brookings, South Dakota. So that would be a a, a nice stage for him to to reach that career milestone and and become just the tenth player in Division one history to crack the three thousand point barrier.
1: Really, really cool when that's going to happen because just two in the same season GP, he'll he'll become the tenth one, and you know. I remember when McDermott was, uh, when Doug McDermott was breaking this, breaking into the three thousand point mark four seasons ago, I think we're at now um and researching at the time and kind of chronicling his his build to that and being somewhat surprised that we had such a low number of players uh who had reached the, the threshold so to get two in the same season um and actually i'm uh, I, they started this season uh, crazily enough with the same exact uh, point total through three seasons i don't remember what that was but clemens scoring at a, at a higher rate because um, frankly his team needs him to uh, we'll see if the fighting camels can get in but yes Mike Dom is is not so far behind him and South Dakota State obviously is a is a real um, NCAA Cinderella candidate let's see if they can get in I think they should they probably should get into the field but uh, but we'll wait and see anything on Monday night that by chance entices UGP
0: I haven't even looked at the schedule. Oh, I got
1: it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Listen, I got it. I I got you set up here. So there is one particularly good game on Monday night, and it's Virginia at Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia, over the weekend, took care of Notre Dame. Only a six-point home win, so a little bit surprising there. Virginia Tech still does not have Justin Robinson. There is a foot issue with him. Buzz Williams has not been forthcoming about the nature of the injury. We all we know is he's out indefinitely. Who knows if this is a season ending kind of thing? We simply don't know. Without him though, uh Virginia Tech, which gets a nice opportunity at home against Virginia, it's 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 a lesser team. These two teams play back on January fifteenth. Virginia won by twenty two. I'm gonna take the Cavaliers to win this one, but the way that Notre Dame was able to uh to at least keep it close and yeah, in a low scoring game and et cetera, et cetera, maybe just people might pause and and want to take Virginia Tech um really good offense but you know what Virginia has got a good offense as well so that's the main event as we look forward to Monday night it would do wonders for Virginia Tech not just its resume but I think I th- I just I think that the Hokies who have been you know they've been kind of here and there on the national radar we you know we try and touch on all the teams of relevance in the in the top 25 um as the episodes progress here but it doesn't feel like and maybe I'm wrong, but it just doesn't feel like the Hokies have gotten like true pop yet this season. Here is your here's your biggest opportunity to do so because they lost. Remember, got run by Virginia, got run by North Carolina a week later, and uh, dropped the home game against Louisville, and then fell uh, against Clemson thereafter. So it's going to get tough here because I got Duke coming up as well. But beating Virginia would be a would be a big time moment for Buzz Williams' program. But I'm not going to pick him to do it. I'll take Tony Bennett and the Cavs.
0: I'll take Virginia Ticket home just to be different than you. But Virginia, you know, twenty-two and two, and the two losses are to Duke. Nobody in the country has beaten Virginia except for the Duke Blue Devils. The other game, now that I'm looking at the schedule, I've already mentioned it earlier, but it's big for Big Twelve purposes: is Kansas State at West Virginia. West Virginia is obviously bad, but if Kansas State has to play there without Dean Wade, they're a different team without Dean Wade. And you know that's still, you know, in Morgantown, a place where. I think Kansas lost earlier this season, so you know West Virginia is still good enough to um, to beat people in their building, even if they're not going to the NCAA tournament or anywhere close to that. And if Kansas State is going to try to uh, not only get a share of the Big Twelve title but win it outright, these are the types of games you have to win—road games that are manageable. So that's a big one. And then on Tuesday night, because Tuesday night we'll get here before we record again. Um, Purdue at Indiana is interesting, if only because if Indiana loses that game, like Indiana has been losing basically every game, they will suddenly be thirteen and thirteen overall. Uh, they're thirteen and twelve right now, and they have lost three straight games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten of their past eleven. We haven't really dove deep on the Hoosiers in this downward spiral, but you know Archie Miller at Indiana losing ten of his last 11 and then it you know sean miller um in a similar situation at arizona the the miller brothers um have had better seasons and they will have better seasons man this one's rough for both of them
1: yeah uh you know i don't know when the next time sean and archie will get together but uh, to be a fly on the wall in the room there whenever they uh lament the season because indiana is is Really flirting with not even being an NIT team at this point. You take on so many losses, it just it just piles up. You can't you can't deny that. For listeners who might be keyed in on their specific teams in recent histories, I would be interested. in This if I want to know the last time a team, not even like just missed, but I want to know if if there's even been a case. Maybe a, a sharp bracketologist might have something that comes to mind, um, where a team didn't didn't sniff it. Maybe they went to the NIT, but weren't like a one, two, or three, but they had. Three victories that came against teams that were, say, seeded fourth or maybe even fifth or better in the tournament because that's what Indiana is going to be. Marquette, Michigan State, Louisville all going to be five seeds or better barring unthinkable collapses from any of those teams. Um, and I know Louisville has been shaky, but I still think Louisville winds up with a five. So I'd be interested because I don't know if Indiana has a recent parallel in the past 10 to 15 years. Maybe there probably might be a case where we've had a weird team that just picked off a few good wins, but then just for, for whatever reasons uh, wound up being bad, you know, close to 500, if not sub 500, but Indiana is uh, is in a class all its own there. But uh, yeah, the, you know, it, it it could still make the NCAA tournament. It just has to completely, like, completely flip its season. Has to beat Purdue on Tuesday, win at Iowa on Friday, beat Wisconsin, sweep Michigan State. I mean, it's just too tall a task. If if it happens, it would make for really quite an incredible story. But as we've mentioned uh, a few podcasts back, unfortunately, it just, it just does seem like... Um, not only will Romeo Langford's only season in Bloomington just go to waste, but you know Jawan Morgan's been a great player for that program, and was you know in the t- in the mix for preseason Big Ten Player of the Year, and now you know his his senior season looks like it could be uh just you know a wash and uh, wasted potential there uh, in Bloomington this season.
0: Yeah, I have um, um, Michigan State ninth, Marquette eleventh, Louisville twelfth in the top twenty-five and one. So Indiana is. Thirteen and twelve with three wins over top twelve teams in the top twenty-five and one. Like that's hard to do. <laughs> like that that caliber of high-end wins, which is still why they have a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. To have those types of wins, but also twelve losses on February seventeenth. Um, very very hard to do. Weird season. Uh, in in uh in Bloomington. You ready to go catch a plane?
1: I hope it's going to happen soon, my man. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to get home. But you know what? I more than anything, I like, I like when the pod just uh, gives us these these surprises. So we can we're adaptable, all right. We and and thank you for taking time on your Sunday to get this done early, because who knows when I'm getting home? And you know, uh, a late podcast when you've got a wife that's uh, had to deal with kids is, <laughs> as you well know, like walking to the door being like, hey, great to see ya. Listen, I gotta go. I gotta go talk to Parish. I got a pod, or I gotta go talk to Norlander. We got a pod. We already know the look that we can get with that. So thank you for this. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back in business on Wednesday. And since Parrish hasn't, I will plug for him real quick here. In addition to uh, us being on CBS Sports HQ, thank you for watching that. Parrish is also in New York this week and hosting Time to Shine on CBS Sports Network. So in addition to his inside college basketball duties, the best college hoops highlight show on television, should be sure to, uh, to catch GP on Time to Shine, 6.30 this week, every night. I can't wait to see what you're talking about there, because it's you—it's you in a different element, and uh, and I always like seeing you in a different element.
0: I believe it's actually 6 p.m. Eastern um, um, on Monday. I'll be hosting on Monday, Thursday, and Friday, and then doing Inside College Basketball Tuesday and Wednesday. So yeah, I'll be here in New York until next Saturday, and um, yeah, got a lot of television work to do. So it's fun. It you know it allows me to talk. Um, about more things than just college basketball, um, NBA, major league baseball, NFL, whatever. So I hosted this past Friday with Evan Washburn on Monday. It'll be with Brent Stover. And then on Thursday and Friday um, with Evan Washburn again. So busy, busy stuff, but we'll fit in another podcast somewhere. I promise. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle He's a legend. Shouts to Larnow. And uh, please, if you haven't done it yet, go subscribe to the IOM College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. We're over a thousand reviews now and you guys have been terrific i read every single one of them so when you write nice things um it does make me smile and then it asked me did you find this review helpful and if you write nice things i i said yes that, that that did find this helpful and if you write mean things i just i just push no i said that was the most that was the least helpful uh comment i've ever read in my entire life no i didn't find it helpful so if you guys have already subscribed uh, i say thank you if you haven't please go do that it takes a minute literally uh nothing more it's uh light work uh, but it means a lot. So please go do that and we're gonna to talk to you again either late Tuesday or early Wednesday. We'll have to figure that out once Norlander lands back in uh in, in the uh eastern time zone. Till then take care.